winter right now. I thought maybe spring was coming earlier this week, but we got a few more weeks of winter. I think we're going to have to face it, right? Face reality. Well, we um, just finished a series here at Calvary, three-week series called Alignment. And it was built around Moses' prayer, great prayer from Psalm 90, verse 12, where it says, he prayed it, God, teach me to number my days aright so that I might gain a heart of wisdom. And Moses was simply praying there. We only, you know, we only have so many days to spend. And Moses is praying, and I think we want to pray along with him. Lord, teach me to measure my days so that I live a life that's built around core values. When I come down to the end of my life, the days that I've lived, will, they really will have counted. Well, I would like to paraphrase and reapply that same prayer to this next series that we are jumping into today uh, and paraphrase, paraphrase Moses' prayer to read like this. Teach me to number my words aright so that I might live my life with wisdom. Because we also only have a certain number of words to spend over the course of our lifetime. And once we spend our words, just the same as we spend our days, we can't get our words back once we've spent them. Now, the University of Arizona did a study recently. The average person, they said, is awake 17 hours a day. And how many words does the average person speak in those 17 hours? Well, they discovered that women speak 16,000 <laughs> I know I'm on thin ice right here, really thin ice, okay. Hang in there, it's going to be all right, okay. Uh, women speak 16,215 words a day. And this is surprising because I think most of us have heard this other study that was done a few years back that put women speaking at 20,000 a day, I think, and men speaking only 7,000 a day. And that when men come home at the end of a day, if, if, their, if, if their wife is a housemaker, that is, then, uh, then they're expecting the, uh, the women, ha they're expecting the woman to, to get out the rest of her, their words to him. Anyway, uh, all right. I'm not going, I'm not going to go with that study. Uh, I'm going with the University of Arizona study, which, uh, and says men speak 15,669 <laughs> very specific. So let's round it off to 16,000 a day for both of us, men, all genders, okay? Uh, now, I, I did some calculating on that. If we speak 16,000 words a day, then over the course of a week, that's 112,000. And then over the course of a year, that's 5,824,000. And then if we live 80 years, the number of our words will be 465,920,000 words that we have to spend. So we use our words in conversations, which is the title of this new four-week series that we are beginning this morning. Uh, hence, and I don't very often get to use that word, hence. <laughs> I thought this is a perfect place for it. Hence the little comic book symbols that are on the platform this morning, you know what those symbols are. They are symbols, you know, symbols of words and conversations, okay? 
but it's not only a four-week series called Conversation. This is also our entire 2015 theme as a church for the entire year because we build our lives in large part by the conversations that we have. Uh, the way we use our words. We build our relationships with our words. We form our core values and state them in words. We display our attitudes in words. Jesus said the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. We think in words. We encourage people with words or we tear people down with words. Everything we do has, is attached to words. And so some of the questions that are going to keep surfacing during this series, these are evaluation questions. Throw them out here right now. Do I use my words wisely or do I waste words? Do I do good with my words or do I do damage? Uh, are my conversations healthy or unhealthy? What kind of words do I use at home? What kind of words do I use at work? And above all, for those who are Christ followers, uh, are my words Christ-like? Do, do, do my words lead to the flourishing and the blossoming of those around me? Do, I, do my words bring health into an environment, wherever that environment is I might happen to be? Those are important questions. Now, this series is built around the four basic conversations that we all have in life. And I believe these are the four basic conversations we all have. Our conversation with God, our conversation with ourself, we call that self-talk, our conversation with each other, that includes our, circles of, uh, our circle of relationships, our families, our friends. It includes our church family, the conversation we have with each other. And then fourthly, as followers of Christ, we're called to have a very, very significant conver conversation with our world, to bring the voice of Jesus Christ into the conversations, into those things that our world is dealing with and talking about, to be his voice. So during the next four weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce each of these four conversation areas and then, throughout the rest of the year, we're going to come back and take each of these four and sort of dig into them and unpack them each two or three or four weeks. We're, just going, to, we're going to get into this very deeply this year uh, because Jesus said an awful lot about this use of our words, our conversations. For instance, in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said this, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment, on the day we stand before God, for every careless word that we have spoken. Which means this, I believe. I think what Je Jesus is giving us all an invitation here to live our lives day by day by day, conversation by conversation, always evaluating our words. Because, for sure, God in heaven is doing that. Word by word, conversation by conversation, meeting by meeting, relationship by relationship, 365 days a year, 
all of these billions of words we talked about. And this is amazing to think of. But the God of heaven is tuned in to every single one of those words. Every one of them. And he's keeping record. He's evaluating them. Uh, Now, the great thing is, if we... That can be sort of scary, right? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah, it can be. And it probably should be, right? Because words, when God gave us the ability to have conversation and use words, he gave us, he handed us a great responsibility here. Our words are responsible. Uh, we We have to be responsible in using our words. Now, but here's what, if we will learn to pray that prayer of Moses, Lord, teach me to number my days and Teach me to number all those words that I use during the course of the day so that I can live a life of wisdom. In other words, we're praying a prayer of evaluation. And conversation by conversation, we're going right, to be right in step with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, whenever I say something that's out of bounds, whenever I hurt someone with, a, with something I've said, or, or even take it down a layer, a layer deeper than that, we think in words, Right? So the Holy Spirit, God, he knows, he knows the words I'm thinking, the words I never even speak. He knows all that con- part of the conversation, too. So it's a very thoroughgoing invitation that Jesus is giving here to a person. Join God in the evaluation of your conversations so that on the day we stand before him, God doesn't have a lot to bring up to us because we've already asked forgiveness sincerely for every misspoken word and we've just lived evaluating our words uh, I think that's what Jesus is talking about here for instance uh, you know uh, the Lord listens in on my conversations with Jill every single day and hers with me uh, and that's why it's important for me now to um, to be evaluating what I say to Jill and what I don't say uh, Every day is a vocabulary test. Just like the vocabulary test we used to have in school, every single day is a vocabulary test for us. Jill and I have had our vocabulary tests. Uh, We left for a trip to Pennsylvania a few years back, and um, Danielle and Devin, two two of our grandkids, were with us, sitting in the back seat there. And we were a good 20, 25 miles down the road. This was before they had Interstate uh, 355, so we would cut over to 294 and head down to 80 to head to Pennsylvania. And we were, I mean, we were getting down there close to where the intersection of 294 and 80, and, you know, Jill raised the question, uh, oh, hey, where's my purse? And so <laughs> I could feel a little bit of a tension developing in, inside. And so the surge in the front seat and the back seat, Grant, Devin, uh, Danielle, is her purse back there hoping against hope. And then she said, oh, Jim, did you happen to put my purse in the trunk before we left? And I said, well, would I be the person to, to put your purse in the trunk? <laughs> okay. And uh, so there were, the conversation was getting started here. And uh, then, uh, so I pulled over, and I, I was, oh, let that purse be in the trunk. So I, I go back there, pull open the trunk, search, 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 no, no purse. Okay. So I jumped back in the car, and then uh, I, did, I went into a sermon. Uh, the topic was memory and purses 
and all those kinds of things. And, uh, now, and the grandkids had a great time. They <laughs> loved it. Uh, and when we, got, when we finished the trip, the, one of the big topics of conversation was they were sort of repeating and mimicking the sermon that they had heard me preach to Jill uh, as we were driving back to Lamont to find the purse. And when we got to the house, the purse wasn't at the house either. So we thought, well, where could the purse be? Well, then we, oh, it's over at the church. So we drove from there and back to the church and found the purse and uh, everything. So now, what's that? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but uh, that was a vocabulary test for me. That was a test of conversation and words. And I will have to say on that one that later I had to come back to Jill and say, you know what, uh, I've forgotten things in my life too. Uh, it's, not, it's not just a, a situation with you, it's me too. But I think maybe you can identify with me in some of these kinds of things, right? Okay, all right. Uh, now, if all of our, but you see what, if I want to take care of that relationship, I want to take care of those misspoken words with Jill, I'd rather, I want to take care of it now by saying, Lord, okay, Lord, I'm humbled, humbling myself, forgive me, and then I come to Jill and say, hey, forgive me, I've messed up there, shouldn't have said what I said, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if we take care of it now, then when I stand before the Lord someday, it's, it's been erased from the record book, okay? Now, but if our conversations are under review, and we are accountable for every word we speak, then I believe it makes sense that the most that the first and the most important conversation we must have to assure health in all the other three areas is we must have a really healthy conversation going between us and God because that's going to impact the, the, the way we go about our conversations in those other three areas. So we're going to start with that one, the conversation we have with God. And the fact of the, the matter is, uh, I guess, that, well, let's go with the question. Is, is it really possible to have a conversation with God? That can sound sort of remarkable. And would God, if it were possible, would God, want, would God be interested in having a conversation with you and me? Is God a conversationalist? Well, I want to very quickly share some evidence, four quick points of evidence that, yes, God is very much a conversationalist, and yes, he is very, very interested in having a conversation with you and with me, and we with him. The first one is this. God reveals himself to us as the most word-centered, conversation-loving person who exists. He reveals himself as a trinity, that can be a little complicated, but the basic idea is this. He is one God, and yet in a way we can't possibly understand that one God exists as three persons. And this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been, what it's telling us is that the nature of God is conversation. He is, he is conversationalist in capital letters. And, and for all of eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been absorbed in conversation. You ever have those conversations with somebody? Maybe you're at a coffee shop or over dinner or 
somewhere. You, have, you ever have those conversations with someone that are completely absorbing? They are so energizing. I mean, you've been there, you felt like you were talking for, you know, uh, it, it, two, two or three hours go by. You felt like it was only 10 minutes. You walk out of those kinds of conversations. Well, that, that is the kind of God. That's the nature of God for all of eternity. He is a conversationalist. He communicates. He talks. He speaks. And so that's the first evidence. God reveals himself as a conversationalist. Number two, conversational human beings reflect a conversational God. The Bible says that when God made us, he also made us in his image, in his likeness. And so the reason, I, I would say the, the most common sense reason that human beings are so, their lives are so uh, formed by words, so word-centered, is because we resemble the God who created us. He made us this way to resemble himself. To be absorbed in, and that means, and what that says to us is that same God wants to be absorbed in communication with us if he made us that way. Number three, when, the, when that conversation with God got broken by our first parents' sin, they broke the conversation with God. It broke the relationship. But God so valued restoring the conversation with us that he began speaking to us through prophets that he sent into the world, and all of those prophets pointed to the time when God was going to send his chief spokesperson into the world, his very own son, eternal son, Jesus Christ, with whom he'd been in conversation for all of eternity. Here's how it says it in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And you know what? When Jesus came into the world, strangely, one of the very names that Jesus has is the Word. And I think that's very significant. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the Word became flesh, became human, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What that's saying to us is that everything that God has to say to us is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the eternal word. Jesus is the complete message. He is the complete expression. He is God's mode of conversation with you and I to restore the conversation. Jesus came to restore that. And the fourth evidence is this, that when Jesus did come, the longest parable that he ever gave was about how to have, how to reestablish a conversation with God. It's called the parable of the farmer or the parable of the sower of the seed. And we find it in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. Now, I want to quickly read this for you. I think it's going to be on the screen, but I, I want us to hear the story that Jesus tells. And think of it this way. A few, uh, oh, a couple years ago, I went up to uh, Good Samaritan Hospital, and uh, I had an echogram on my heart. They wired me up, and they laid me down, and I could literally watch on the screen my heart beating. And it was a little bit sobering. 
Because I thought to myself, as I was watching my heart, that muscle contracting, expanding, contracting, expanding, I thought, wow, that looks pretty vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, that's, I hope that keeps working. Uh, and, and I kept looking at the nurse's face uh, for any, si- any signs of worry or alarm or anything like that. Uh, but, but it was probing that, the condition of my heart. And in this parable, this story that Jesus tells, it's very much like a spiritual echogram where he is probing the, the four different conditions that the human heart can exist in. So listen to it in that light. He said, it says he, in verse 3, he told many stories in, in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have any deep roots, they died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 60 or 30, 60, and even 100 times as much has been planted. And then Jesus says this. This is an interesting statement. Anyone with ears should listen and understand. Now, obviously, when Jesus said, if there's anybody here today who has ears, oh, okay, okay, everybody out there had these ears, right? He's not talking about these. He's talking about that other set of ears, the ears of our heart. And he said, if anyone is here today listening to me teach this, and they have ears in their heart that are open to hear, then that person needs to really listen and understand. Because there were some people in that crowd that day, as in crowds where any time Jesus taught, there were always two groups of people in, in, in the crowd. There were those that just got blown away by what he was saying because, wow, it just registered with them. But there was always that group there that they rejected it. They shut their ears. They shut their hearts to what Jesus was saying. And this is what Jesus is referring to in this same parable when he stops to quote the prophet Isaiah. This is what he says. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears can't hear. They've closed their eyes so their eyes can't see. Their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Uh, Now, after saying that, Jesus went on to give the interpretation of his little story. And this is what it says in verse 18. Well, first of all, he said this to those that were listening. In verse 16, he says, But blessed are your eyes because they do see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but didn't see it, longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. You're, you're living in a, many people wanted to live in the day of the Messiah. Old Testament prophets looked forward to it. These people were actually there to hear him speak, and their hearts were open. So he says, you're blessed. Okay, now... Listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. First, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom of God and don't understand it. And I think he's saying don't really attempt to understand it, aren't interested. The evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. 
But since they don't have any deep roots, they don't keep growing. They don't last very long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word, for believing that the scripture is really God's word. They don't have enough depth to hang on to it. And then thirdly, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by two things. The worries of this life and the lure of wealth, the lure of materialism. So no fruit is produced in their lives. Fourthly, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and receive it with depth, and it produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as was planted inside of them. Their lives will begin to flourish. Now, summarizing that story, Jesus is saying, like I said a moment ago, in any, any crowd of people where he taught, wanting to establish about establishing a conversation with God, there were some who accepted, there were some who rejected and Jesus points out the reason for those who reject it or accept it. It's a matter of the heart. For those that reject, he says, the eyes and the ears of the heart are, are closed. It's almost like you take earplugs, you know, and you, you've taken earplugs and stuck them in your ears, spiritual ears. Or you've, you've you know, some people sleep uh, with those uh, masks they put over their eyes so, you know, it's completely dark. Okay, you, it's like a person, spiritually speaking, is walking around with earplugs and with that sleep mask over their face. Their spiritual, their spiritual life, in terms of any conversation with God, is completely silent. They, they don't, they, they, it's not non-existent for them. Now, why would a person put earplugs and eye blinders to shut God out? Why would a human being do that? It would, you would think that the first conversation any human being would want to have would be a conversation with their maker, their God. But a lot of people put the earplugs in and, and put the blinders on. Why is that? Well, I have four reasons. Um, Jesus covered them in a way in what he's saying here, but I'm going to go through them real quick here. And it's, the first one is this. I think many people have concluded in their hearts, and I'm saying they draw this conclusion in their hearts, and that's this, that, that God isn't there to have a conversation with. Or at least it's not even possible to know if there is such a God there. That's atheism and agnosticism. Uh, and I think many people raise those questions out of an honest search, an honest inquiry. And I wouldn't be surprised we have people right here in our church today that are searching out that very question. I want to commend you for that. And if you're, if you're honest in that, I think there's two kinds of skeptics in the world. They're the kinds of people that just love arguing and being skeptics. And I don't care if they walk into a room and some people have agreed on something, they're going to walk in and say, I totally disagree. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even know what they're talking about. That's the one kind of skeptic. They just love controversy. The other kind of skeptic is the kind that has honest questions. He's really, really searching things out. God will honor that kind of a, a person's, that, that person's questions. So anyway, so if that's your question today, I just would throw this out that uh, if if there is no conversational God out there, 
then obviously <laughs> everything we're talking about, everything Jesus was talking about, makes no sense. Absolutely. However, if there is a conversational God out there, and I think the evidence is stacked to point that way, heavily stacked to point that way, then the most sensible thing that any human being could do would be to seek a, to establish a conversation with that God. Second reason some people put earplugs and, and sort of shut God out of the picture, shut him out of their hearts is, Jesus touched on this one, they have become in their heart disappointed, disillusioned with God over the loss and the pain and the suffering that they've gone through. As if God no longer at this level of suffering has anything meaningful to say to me. The conversation's over. You know, I suppose all of us have a pain threshold, or we at least set a, a pain threshold in our life. And we can keep holding on to our faith up to, that, up to that certain pain threshold. But then when something happens in our life that goes beyond, takes us beyond that pain threshold we had set, that's where sometimes Christians will shut God out, tune God out. There's an anger at God. There's a disillusionment with their faith. They may not outright deny God. I think most times they don't. But really, from that point on in their life, when they suffered that loss, that level of suffering, God has never, they've never been as close to God since, since then. Uh, and, and I think there's another reason. Uh, okay, a third reason why people shut God out. They're angry with God in their heart at the shallow superficial, fake, hypocritical, fluffy, plastic, pat answer, divorced from the real world Christian culture that they've been exposed to, maybe grown up in. And so they make the mistake of concluding that Jesus has nothing to say of any real depth and meaning because they, they see Jesus through the lens of the superficial Christian culture that they've grown up in. And I'll tell you what, there's a whole, whole, whole group of hundreds of thousands of people that grew up in church in this country that have left their churches. Some have left Christianity for that very reason. And I meet them quite often because the Christianity they grew up in didn't match what they heard the preacher talking about every week, didn't match what they learned in their Bible classes. It didn't seem real. It seemed fake. It seemed plastic. Uh, it, they heard the talk about love, but that isn't what they really saw. Uh, or, or sometimes I hear the music. You know, uh, Christian music on some of our Christian radio stations is it's all the same stuff. Some of it's shallow. I'm, just, I'm telling you what I hear sometimes. Uh, some of it's deep, but some of it might be shallow. Uh, or um, there's no value of the arts. There's uh, people wear masks in church. They're not real. They don't really care about people. They're just sort of mouthing the Christian platitudes day by day by day by day. Now, okay, 
If that's you this morning, I would say it is a good thing to reject the plastic, fake Christian culture that does exist. It's, we need to reject that, every single one of us. But don't reject Jesus. Because Jesus isn't and never has and never will be part of a plastic Christian culture. And so what I would say, if you desire to see, what I would say to you is this. Get hold of Jesus Christ. Get a conversation going with Christ. Find the depth of conversation you can have with him. And then you change the Christian culture. And you bring it back to its reality. Bring it back to a true reflection of who Jesus is not only inside the walls of the church, but out into the marketplace, out into the world. You be a world changer. You live that real life, that genuine life that Jesus Christ calls all of us to live. Um, the scripture we read a moment ago about Jesus when he came into the world was he was full of what? Grace and truth. That's what will change the world is grace and truth in that order. People who are filled with his grace and love and mercy and care who then share the truth. Changes the world. And it is so easy, isn't it? We as Christians, all of us, the biggest disease of Christianity is becoming unreal. Learning the Christian script. We can mouth the Christian script. We can sing it every Sunday. Uh, But losing losing the reality of it and the love of it. So, the greatest thing we can do for our youth as a church, because I think our youth have their antenna up more than anybody else to what's real and what's fake and what's not. The greatest thing we can do as a church for our young people is be real Christians. Real Christians. But I do think some people back off uh, for that reason. Put earplugs in. Number four is The Word of God is in conflict with something they are doing or holding on to in their life, so they shut out from their heart that portion of the Word of God and the conviction of the Spirit that goes with it, so they can live an inconsistent Christian life, out of sync. In other words, it's, I'm going to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that fit my lifestyle. I'll pick and choose. And I'll twist and justify to pick and choose. And, uh, but, you know, this is what Jesus said about that in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you really love me, you're not going to be picking and choosing. You're going to be saying, Lord, help me. Help me to live this out because I love you. And I want to I live my life for you. Uh, so... In this story of the farmer, Jesus is calling upon people to take the earplugs out, to take off the eye blinders from their hearts, and to come honestly to him with an open heart to listen to and to consider that Jesus is inviting us into this conversation with God. He's inviting us to receive him and to trust him and to give God the opportunity to reveal himself in new and deeper ways to your heart your life. And so your homework this coming week as we kick off this new series is to spend time with this same parable that we've looked at this morning, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23, 
I would encourage you to read it a couple times a day this week. Spend some time with this thing. Let it be your spiritual heart echogram, okay? And as you do, uh, evaluate which of these four heart conditions describes me. And then pray. Read it prayerfully. And as you're doing that, then open, open your heart to the Lord. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. We all need to go in for this spiritual echogram once in a while because hardness can settle in to all of us. So let's all take the test. Let's all, let's all go in for, that, uh, in for that checkup this week, okay? And let the Word of God do its work in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word.